Money FM 89.3, the best of the breakfast huddle. Why it matters on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, good morning. It's the breakfast huddle. I'm Elliot Danker. It is time now for Why It Matters. With COVID-19 significantly increasing user time on social platforms, it has also developed longer-term opportunities in e-commerce. Instead of just passing high-quality traffic to e-commerce platforms through advertising, social platforms matured and sought to capture a greater share of the economic value. Now, nearly 15% of Singapore's e-commerce, for example, is attributed to such commerce that happens on social platforms. At the same time, e-commerce platforms are also trying to introduce social features such as live shopping to make their own platforms a lot more engaging, which is another form of social commons that's set to grow. Uh, These trends are making this space a lot more complex. Leading brands are asking some questions about social commons. I mean, how big is it? Is it a viable channel for their brand? You know, things like that. So to address these questions, Cube Asia has recently undertaken a research initiative by systematically dissecting the four different social elements in e-commerce that make up the social commerce market. So we're going to find out more about this. Uh, On the line with me this morning is Simon Toring, who is co-founder of Cube Asia. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks a lot for having me. This should be quite a good conversation, Simon. Uh, Looking forward to it. Cube Asia first. Uh, Let's try and understand the company. You guys are a market intelligence company for the online economy. Tell us a little bit about Cube Asia's business model and uh, that focus on the online economy. Absolutely. So my co-founder, Saurabh, and I started Cube Asia just about eight, nine months ago. Uh, So he and I have both spent the last roughly 10 years Uh, here in Southeast Asia in various countries focusing on different parts of the e-commerce and retail ecosystem. Uh, We had a chance to work together in a consulting firm and one thing that really frustrated us a lot was that as e-commerce has grown much, much bigger now, you know, well over $150 billion um, market in Southeast Asia, the level of market data, market insights is still quite poor. If you're in the offline uh, retail space, you can go and ask reputable sources for market sizes of different spaces or really understand detailed dynamics. And on e-commerce, we just weren't able to find any good sources. So we thought, hey, let's let's try and have a go at this. So that's really the start of Cube Asia. And so we market a subscription to different market data for the six largest economies in Southeast Asia. And we're really focusing on TikTok and the uh, broader social commerce space for the next few months. Oh, yeah. TikTok, certainly uh, lots of data to look at there. I do understand that Cube Asia also did the social commerce in Southeast Asia 2022 reports. First of its kind, I believe, and interestingly sponsored by Sprinkler. Tell us a little bit about the sponsorship slash partnership involved here. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, we released the report, I think, just at the beginning of December, but it was really (laughs) a bit of a labor of uh, blood, sweat, tears and a lot of love uh, over the course of last year. So we started this endeavor because a lot of people were really, you know, talking about and asking us about social commerce. Mm. And everybody agreed that it was very exciting, but it was very hard to get from, let's say, the narratives to the numbers. So we took it upon ourselves. We surveyed you know, more than 15,000 respondents across Southeast Asia, collected a ton of secondary uh, material as well, to start laying it out. And yeah, Sprinkler, which is a great customer experience management platform, came along and partnered with us to help us do even more. Um, so 
Uh, that partnership continues. Um, uh, Sprinkler, which has, I would say, traditionally been known more for call center and social listening solutions, are now moving more and more into the, particularly the conversational commerce piece of, of social commerce. So I think it's a bit of a match made in heaven, and we're very happy for that partnership. Mm. So in terms of the methodology of this survey, could you tell us a little bit about who else was surveyed? Yeah, so we've gone into the six largest economies of Southeast Asia and spoken to thousands of consumers to try and understand, okay, we know from a headline level that social commerce is big, but let's try and go two or three levels deeper. You know, for instance, have you previously tried shopping through live selling? Have you tried buying something through a chat app like uh, like WhatsApp? Mm. Those questions take a little bit of different windy paths in the different markets. You know, in, in Singapore, we would ask more about WhatsApp. In a country like Thailand, we would ask more about Line, for instance. Mm, yeah. But it's that sort of path. And so that's allowed us to really get a whole lot deeper in understanding how our consumers truly interacting with these new ways of shopping. Mm. Actually, for example, for myself, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this whole idea of, of e-commerce. And, and we've been talking quite a bit about social commerce. Is there an easy way to understand this term, especially for someone who's perhaps new to marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we were struggling a lot with that uh, <laughs> last year. And I think we like to think about it as social commerce is e-commerce, where there are distinct social elements impacting the customer journey. And mm. uh, so so far, we have identified four different types of social commerce happening in Southeast Asia at the moment. And they are, so one is conversational commerce. So any kind of e-commerce that goes on through apps like WhatsApp, where you, you can chat directly with a human or maybe a chatbot trying to pretend to be a human. And then second, the uh, live selling, which is uh, sort of commercial live streaming where you can tune into a presenter and buy something then and there. Uh, the third is a new and very fast growing uh, type we call social platform commerce. And that's any kind of e-commerce where you can have the entire experience inside of a social app. And I think the best example there is really TikTok, where TikTok is now integrating payment, integrating all of the logistics tracking inside of its own app. So you no longer need to, let's say, see an ad on TikTok and then go to a place like Shopee. You can have that whole experience inside. And then finally, the fourth, which is the smallest, but in a way also one of the most distinct uh, types is what we call community group buying, which are different ways where consumers come together to form sort of teams to unlock greater discounts. And there's a bit of that happening in Singapore as well, but it's not huge. I do appreciate you helping to break that down even more. So the reason I asked that was, so where does this put, let's say, your online website? Say I own a a leather goods store and it's uh, blah, 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 dot com, leathergoods.com, for example. But most of my sales or traffic comes from, for example, a TikTok or an Instagram. You know, I go to the account, it says visit shop, and then it directs me to that website. Where does this put the main shopping website in the whole ecosystem of social commerce? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's really the one that most of our customers, large brands, retailers ask us, what does this mean to me? I would say there are a couple of things to keep in mind. The first is, in a way, because these new ways of conducting e-commerce are now available, and more consumers are trying them. What we see is when consumers try them, they really love them and they have a hard time going back to, let's say, regular e-commerce, going back to just navigating to a page, looking at the pictures, clicking add to cart. So it's a bit of the genie is out of the yeah. bottle. <laughs> and so what it would mean for you in that, in that regard is 
you might have used TikTok and Instagram mainly as a marketing channel. So you're okay. thinking about your ad budget there. You're thinking about how can that drive traffic to my website? Mm, mm, mm. Now we would say, what can you do to bring the commerce, the discovery, the interaction with the customer, the checkout as well, what can you do to bring that into Instagram and into TikTok so that customers don't even need to go to your website anymore? Because what we see in our data is if, for instance, if you have an Instagram where you're providing a live chat support for your customers, so you're there in the messages, looking at them, screening them, making sure that you respond to your prospective customers within a minute or two, that actually increases your conversion rate and your sales quite substantially versus just waiting for those folks to go over to your website. Ah. So in a sense, a lot of it is quite bad news for the website yeah. uh, <laughs> because yeah. the commerce in a way gets pulled back into the social apps. That's what we're really seeing in a big way. Yeah, and this was found in the survey, right? Because we see a lot of, say, for example, Singaporeans leaning towards shopping on social media instead of just buying items traditionally either from the shop or from the website itself. The study found that e-commerce on social platforms set to contribute, what, $34 billion to Southeast Asia in 2022. How high do you think that number is going to jump in 2023? Oh, that's a good question. So we believe e-commerce as a total bucket will probably grow between 15 and 18% wow. this year. And that is much, much lower than the growth rates that we've been seeing, for instance, over COVID. Mm-hmm. Look at the headline Southeast Asia numbers. The two years of COVID, e-commerce jumped almost 100% year on year. So it was just incredible growth. Mm. And that's tapering a fair bit now. Stores are open again. People are modulating their spending a bit. But what we believe is that the four sort of types of, of social commerce held together will grow faster than that. So we believe, you know, 25, 35%. I think it's a bit hard to say still. It depends a lot on how many consumers decide to adopt these new ways of shopping. Okay. But it, we, we believe firmly that it will grow faster than overall e-commerce. Mm. This might be a bit of a complicated question, but but let's see how this goes. I mean, based on all of this and the survey, but we're also reading in the news how tech companies are sort of laying off staff. I mean, where should these businesses invest or place their investments as far as hoping to grow this online e-commerce sort of boom in, in that sense? When you consider that a lot of places are reopening, people are going out there, yet, you know, they still might want to shop online. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I would say what we normally advise brands is try and do one or two things. There is, you know, there's there's probably 10 they can do. Try and pick one or two. If I can think about just across the board, which one's probably I'd bet my money on in Singapore this year. Mm -hmm. The first would be TikTok. Okay. So TikTok is just, you know, blasting onto the e-commerce landscape faster than anything we've seen before. I like to tell my customers TikTok is not a social app. TikTok is an e-commerce app. And I even try, you know, I normally repeat that a few times for emphasis. Mm. What we are really seeing is, if you think about the last generation of social apps, whether it was Instagram or Facebook, their business model was advertising. They were okay staying out of e-commerce as long as they could make their money on, you know, sending ad traffic to the places like Shopee and Lazada. TikTok is just very different. They want the transactions to happen inside the app and they want to take a cut later on of that transaction. And they are investing in a very, very big way in e-commerce. So while Shopee is doing layoffs, for instance, I think last I checked, TikTok has something like 500 open roles in Singapore alone. And they are really treating Southeast Asia as the global test market for e-commerce features. So that marketplace, I believe, will boom and brands should go there just to be kind of part of the gold rush. Amazing. Um, Amazing. And then I would say between conversational commerce and live selling, 
it depends a little bit on what you're selling, what sort of price range and, and okay. so on. Okay. But I think it's really worthwhile to, to try. Generally, if, if the price points are higher, conversational commerce makes a lot of sense because it imparts the element of service. And it makes e-commerce almost feel a bit like going to a department store and speaking with someone. And then at the lower end, live selling is great for like uh, for <laughs> impulse buys, lower, <laughs> lower ticket items. So yeah. that's probably a good way to, to think about it. Yeah, plus you get to kind of see the item and as a, a human being interact with it. I, I suppose yeah. that kind of gives you a bit of confidence. Simon, I, I, I've been wanting to ask you this, you know, each time you describe TikTok uh, during our conversation, despite some of the news where data is concerned over the past few years regarding TikTok, in your opinion, how has TikTok still managed to garner that trust uh, so much so that people still keep going back to it? It's a great question, and it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about myself. (laughs) I believe if we really break down the news, most of the outrage around the data and privacy concerns tends to come either from the U.S. or from Europe. Okay. If we actually look at how, you know, are consumers concerned here in this part of the world? Not really. Not really. And that is probably why TikTok is investing so greatly in this region. Singapore is different. Singapore definitely has the most savvy consumers in the region. This is also where we have the most well-developed privacy regulations around the whole PDPA framework. So I think it will be very interesting to see this year how the Singapore uh, authorities develop their stance towards TikTok. They will undoubtedly be be looking at the U.S., be looking at Europe, but they might also be, you know, in a way, thinking about the consumers. You know, are the consumers really worried about this kind of stuff? And so I think that's going on on one side. And on the other, I imagine TikTok must also internally be having pragmatic conversations about wanting to protect their business. And so I think they have clearly not done enough as of yet, but I don't think it is unthinkable that they will put some pretty significant guardrails in place to ensure that this perception around data and privacy you know, gets to a better place outside China. Wow, what an interesting conversation. I've been speaking with Simon Toring, who is the co-founder of Cube Asia. Uh, Simon, I do appreciate your time this morning. Take care and have a great week ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. Have a great week, too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.